This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, thousands of Canadians depend on service animals, and this is what you need to know about them on the podcast, because we don't understand the difference between a guide dog, a service dog, the comfort support dog. William Thornton is the CEO of BC and Alberta Guide Dog, and he tells us what it takes to train these animals and why their owners continue to face obstacles in their everyday life. Plus, the best radio game show ever is back. Game Showy is all bark, a little bit of bite. Test your dog knowledge as we play Game Showy, the doggo edition with special guest Kelsey Campbell. And are you okay with stealing someone's french fries? Or maybe it's just having yours stolen. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. In our conversations in the background here on the Shift, Ryan and I were talking about service dogs and all these different storylines that we've had around us uh, recently. And it brought up this conversation about what is a service dog. Of course, we hear the silly stories about, you know, someone who tries to bring a peacock on an airplane because it's their comfort peacock and those fun and silly stories about those things. Inside that though, I think we lose some perspective of what is a certified dog and what is not a certified dog. We did have a caller who shared with us um, their experience trying to go and vote or contribute at City Hall with their service dog and they were denied entry. So that inspired us to reach out and find out because we couldn't answer the question, what do we need to know and what are we missing here? And that's where we introduce you to William Thornton. He's the CEO of BC and Alberta Guide Dogs and uh, is here to help us understand all of those perspectives. Uh, William, thanks for coming in. Appreciate that. Thanks for the invitation. So um, let's start with the difference between this this uh, movement of people that have a comfort animal uh, versus a guide dog versus a service dog. Let's create that distinction between um, all of that, because my understanding, and I'm looking for your correction, is that there are like certified, trained standards of some of these, and some of them, there is no standards, no certification. Do I understand that right? Yes, that's that is that is correct. Um, <clears throat> to look uh, to look globally at things um, first, you we have two main bodies uh, in the world that sort of are legitimate standard writers and accreditors of uh, professional organizations. Mm -hmm. And I'm referring to Assistance Dogs International, which is a registered charity in the United States. And uh, it has about 130 something members globally. Of, and when I say members, these are organizations producing multiples of dogs. Um, and they deal with service dogs. And I'll come back to that definition in a minute. And then we also have the International Guide Dog Federation, uh, which is a registered charity in the United Kingdom. And it accredits guide dog schools around the world. And we have, I think, about 94 members. I'm actually the sitting chair of the International Guide Dog Federation. I think we have 94 um, organizations globally that are accredited members. And um, they, uh, between them all, they're managing something like 22,000 working guide dogs. So it's, wow. it's a lot of dogs. Yeah. A lot of dogs. And we're in 33 different countries. And ADI is similar. They have a similar number of dogs, or slightly less, uh, but they're also in a similar number of countries uh, to us. So under that, or species, in many places around the world and many major air carriers, for example, and other uh, legislative type things, those organizations will recognize any of our graduates from Assistance Dogs International organizations and the International Guide Dog Federation organizations as having certified, they're certified teams or the dog is certified. They're certified as a team as opposed to the dog individually being certified. Mm -hmm. Then there are other ways that people can get certified globally here in BC, for example, Alberta, Nova Scotia. Uh, I'm not sure about all the other provinces. Your dog can be certified by a government uh, or provincial certifying team that's set up by the government under their uh, current legislation. And um, if you pass a test, you do what's known as a public access test after you've had a third party train a dog for you or if you've trained your own dog, um, then you would be certified also as, as would our teams. 
So that would apply to guide dogs, but you'll see very few of those, but you will see a number now of service dogs that are being certified in that way, along with ADI and the International Guiding Federation. And then the other stream of dogs, which we hear a lot about, are emotional support dogs. So an emotional support dog is not actually a dog that has been trained to compete any tasks and then subsequently certified by anyone. So in a, in a manner of speaking, it's a companion dog. And I'm not going to belittle those dogs because those dogs are clearly very important to those individuals. Yeah, I agree. Um, but they don't enjoy the same public rights of access as the certified teams do. So the guide dogs obviously compete, uh, can do a lot of tasks for people, getting them safely from A to B and back again. And then the various types of service dogs that we have, and there's a myriad of them now, they are actually taught to perform a minimum of three tasks to mitigate the disability for that individual. That's the definitions basically right now. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I was first introduced to this conversation, I think it was grade seven, maybe grade eight in junior high school. Tim Kilburn was my teacher. He was my homeroom teacher, and he was also our computers teacher. He was legally blind, had a very tight tunnel vision, so he could see a computer screen if he was up close, so he could read it, and he taught us computers. Uh, Mr. Kelburn had a dog. He had a guy, I think it was a guide dog. I think that would make, make sense, and um, he was known as the teacher with the dog. Now, I do acknowledge Tim because Mr. Kelburn passed away just uh, earlier, late last year, and... Um, yeah, but he was such a big influence on my life. So I think that when we're around these dogs, these people who use these dogs, your perspective changes very quickly. People who have never been around a guide dog or a service dog have zero baseline to look at this. And that to me seems to be kind of where the problem starts and the confusion about all these things is that if you've never been around it, oh, we were so bad, William, we would always give the dog treats. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we were high junior high school students, but but we did learn the rules. We knew better, but we were little hooligans. But we, we learned the rules. We learned how to do that. We learned that when there's a dog with a vest on, or at least a, a control harness. Back then, it wasn't like a service vest, but just a control yeah. harness. Um, we we knew you knew what that meant, and I don't think a lot of people understand the difference today. That that seems problematic for guys like you who try to do this. Yeah, so that can cause it can cause access issues for people not fully understanding um, the value of the dog to that individual person. Definitely a problem. Access is always going to be a bit of a problem. Uh, most organisations and most guide dog users and most service dog users, when we have when they have an access issue, try to deal with it in a sort of a, as an educational component to get people to understand. But sometimes people are pretty belligerent, and I've got to say it's very humiliating if you're refused access, especially if you're a group of people yeah. and you're traveling with them and going into a restaurant or something like that, or it could be a taxi. Uh, it's very, very, it's very humiliating to be turned away. Um, particularly humiliating if you're a person with low vision or no vision at all, because you're really unsure exactly what's going on because you have no vision. You're not reading facial expressions. All you're hearing is voice and you're having to determine things through inter intonation of voice. So it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, we do have some legislation that helps, but usually by the time you get to that legislation and you need it to help you, that situation has passed and it's been a, a horror story for people. It's, it's not a good thing. It's, you know, I've been in, in Canada now doing this, uh, well, since 1984 and it was terrible in those days. It's infinitely better, but it's still atrocious whenever it happens. And it does happen. And probably in Canada, it happens on a daily basis somewhere with someone who has a service dog, legitimate service dog or a guide dog and they're denied access. It's, it's terrible. How do we deal with that part? Um, the convenience of the comfort dog. And again, I agree with you. I'm not going to diminish anybody who uses a comfort animal for whatever it is. I mean, let's be honest, most pet owners are using them as a comfort animal in some fashion, whether it's keep their feet warm while they watch their favorite show because they're lonely tonight or whatever. So the serve the, these dogs and these animals serve us. There's no denying that. But when someone picks up their dog and carries their dog in, into a store, they're not allowed to have a dog in. Oh, it's my comfort dog. They get to go. That really does set a precedent for somebody who needs a service dog to be able to get into those places um, in a negative way. But again, how do you go about that without diminishing one in order to get the clarity? Is it about integrity or is it about education? Like, how does that work? I think I think it's education. You know, if you go online now, if you have a there, we actually call them emotional support dogs. So if you have an emotional support dog and there's 
thousands and thousands of them. There are far more of those being used by people than there are certified dogs in, in globally, in fact. Um, and you can go online and you can buy jackets, you can buy false ID and all that kind of stuff. So under most legislation, you know, you can buy this stuff, but if you're actually using it, you're actually commis- you are committing an offense. Mm. Um, so you shouldn't do it. In we need to look globally in Europe, for example, is a good a good example. In some in many cities in Europe, if you have your own dog you can take them on public transit. So for example, in France, we've all heard of the high-speed trains, the TGV. You can actually take your dog on a TGV train, but not in the rush hour. There's certain hours when you can and can't do it. We do that so with bicycles pro- here on our trains. You can take yeah, bikes yeah, on the yeah, train exactly. pro- so, when it's not busy. Yeah. yeah, so I think those sorts of things need to be looked at. The concern amongst the user group, the guide dog users and the service dog users, is there's always concern that when they're on public transit or something like that, they're going to come across a dog that's not well behaved and they might their dog might be attacked or something like that that's an extreme circumstance but i do think that more and more we need to look at that because more and more society is driving us off the roads so if you're a pet owner and you have to go to your vet and you can't drive downtown in the city that you live in because it's all blocked off of bicycles and what have you then how do you get to the vet you have to use public transit so i think moving forward there needs to be more effort into how that happens and how it's controlled that makes total sense, and I think that you're absolutely right uh, in the push for so many people, not to men- mention, and I don't want to broad stroke everybody who lives with some some uh, disability of some sort, but typically um, you, a person who's living with a disability is finding alternatives already, let alone adding more restrictions onto what that looks like. So that, that makes total sense to me too. Uh, service dogs, guide dogs... I, the obvious question for me, uh, William, is how many dogs have you tried to steal to take home because they're so cute? I mean, being able to keep being able to keep the boundaries I, is the most amazing thing for me. Police dogs is a great example. To this is the job, the the dog does the job, the handler does the the rules. They follow the rules, black and white. They know what it is. But the minute that dog retires. It's all the treats, all the bum scratches. Absolutely. All the things, right? And so uh, that that discipline is so magical to me of what they do. So how do we go from the place of all of us not understanding to wanting to kidnap all the cute puppies and take them all home, like I, I accuse you of, which is not true, but I'm, I'm playing with that, um, to the point where we have discipline to where we reward them for a, a, a good career. Like it's, it's, it's simple, but it ain't easy. No, that's right. So we are very strict in our organization. We're very strict about the dogs having a good social life, you know, get to the park regularly, daily, ideally, so they can free run with their own species, have a good time, be nice and relaxed. You'll see all service dogs are like regular dogs when they're out of their jackets or working harnesses. And they need that time because especially when they're young and starting out, you know, they they need all of that social interaction with their own kind. When you put the harness on or the jacket on, you'll notice the dog's whole demeanor changes. They become a little more serious. They know they're wearing their suit and they're off to the office, as it were, and they'll get on there and do their work. <clears throat> the whole premise of these dogs working mm-hmm. is having a praise and reward, and that's what they work for. They don't work because they have to. They're not forced to work. They only work because they're dogs that through the um, acceptance process and evaluation process we've realized that they have a high willingness to do the work. So it's very, very important that uh, that the social aspect is maintained for our dogs because it maintains their their high level of desire to work and please the the individual that they're paired with. Some breeds are better than others. In regards to these jobs, I mean, is that is that truly a trend that we still see today? I mean, I think we're seeing a more variety of breeds in these scenarios than we used to, because it used to always be the Golden Retriever, the German Shepherd, right? It used to be those, but now you see a, a wide variety of dogs doing different jobs. That's true. So um, the guide dogs really got going first to be used uh, to help people. And that really started off the World War One, and the German army actually started training German shepherds with the war blind. Um, we believe between World War One and World War Two in Germany in a place called Potsdam, which I think is now a suburb of uh, 
of Berlin. They try and train something like over 5,000 working guide dogs, all German shepherds. Wow. Now, if you go through most guide dog schools and many service dog schools, you'll find they're a minority, the German shepherds. In fact, many schools aren't using them anymore because we rotated over to the retrievers. The most popular breed that we would use would be the uh, Labrador retriever. And another really high percentage dog we use would be a first cross Labrador retriever, golden retriever. And then after that, we would be using uh, some golden retrievers, a fewer number, much fewer number of those. And then you are seeing some of the sort of more exotic breeds, the Labradoodles and Golden Doodles that some people are using for service dogs and stuff like that. And the theory behind that is that they are, you know, um, if you have allergies and what have you, you're not going right. to react as much. But it's not exactly that straightforward. Not exactly. Perfect, but you get the kind of yeah. the brains of the smart dog and the, the skin yeah. and the dander of the other dog. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do know this, that um, my house hippo. Harlow the Great Dane will never be a service oh, wow. dog. <laughs> because <laughs> no, they're, no they're, pretty... <laughs> they're good. They're good for going to hospitals, except they wag their bum so big they knock stuff off of counters. Yeah. <laughs> That's the difference between my dog and other dogs. Is that other dogs they wag their tail, they knock something off a coffee table. My dog wags her tail, she knocks something off the kitchen counter. Yeah. Um, but uh, is there a favorite for yours? I mean, there's a reason why you've done this for so long, William. Like, this is uh, decades of work on your part. How did you get into this, and, and wh why do you love it so much? Why is it important to you? Um, I fell into it completely by accident. I had been a police dog handler when I was much younger. And in 1976, I walked past in London and the UK, I walked past the head office of British Guide Dogs who happened to be recruiting and being ex-policeman sort of, um, ex and a dog handler, they were on a recruiting binge at the time. And I got the job and uh, I started in 77 and graduated in 1980. Um, I, 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 like most people, were drawn to the job, first of all, for a love of dogs. And then I think the more you get into the job, you realize that you really like helping people. You like to change their lives. And the wonderful thing about this job is the folks that come to us who want to get a guide dog or a service dog, they're coming to us because they want to do something different with their lives. So they're highly motivated individuals of varying degrees of ability and disability. And uh, so they're always great to work with. And honestly, to drive down the road in your car one day and you see one of your clients walking by with their guide dog or their service dog, and they're out and about and they're independent, it is the most wonderful thing in the world to experience. Yeah, the evidence is right there in front of you with the yeah, success. Yeah. I get that. Who who gets trained more, truly? The dog um, or the people? Nowadays, I think the people who are learning the most now are our actual staff because yeah. we now have uh, international curriculums for training apprentices. Um, depending on which stream you're in, it's either a two- or a three-year apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's it. There's a lot of learning to be done. There's a lot of hands-on learning as well during that period of time, two or three years. And there's minimums of what people have to do, the number of interviews when they're meeting clients and evaluating them for training, aftercare, um, priority aftercare, if there's uh, uh, have to reroute them, teach them a new route, or if there's been a problem that's developed with the dog. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole myriad of things there and an awful lot of time through uh, Systems Dogs International in particular and the International Guard Federation, Thousands and well, tens and tens of thousands of dollars has been invested every single year into how we educate our staff and raise the bar to make sure that they're better at what they do. And then the other thing that's been remarkable, particularly since about the 1970s, is the improvement in the breeding programs that we have in terms of annihilating um, a common thing that people always used to talk about is hip dysplasia. Well, you, yeah. you, you probably won't see that much in our industry at all now. We all have huge uh, data records of all of the dogs, the parents, the performances of the of a stud dog with particular females and what have you. So it's it's sort of a bit like... The dairy herds of, of the years gone by, they developed all these ways of of tracking all the best genetic components of what they need and what have you. And that's what we've done. But at the same time, we've avoided inbreeding. We're always breeding. We're always doing what's called outcrossing. We're not breeding close relatives to each other. There's something that's just not done. And, uh, and now we've gone from, say, having in the early days and even back in the 1960s, where probably you'd have less than 25% of the dogs that you bred getting through the program. Some schools now are running up to 75% of the dogs are getting through. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's great. Um, the investment, the efficiency, the learning, it all sounds very evident and um, it all sounds awesome. I'm assuming your office is dog friendly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And dog friendly, volunteer friendly, because they volunteers play a big, big component in, in um, you know, there's probably 
there's at least 10 or 15 volunteers for every staff member that we have. And all the organizations are the same. I mean, it's huge. And it's volunteers who take the dogs when they're six weeks old and they're out socializing them until they're about 15 months of age. And then they come in for advanced training. And it's those volunteers that, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's amazing what I can't tell you. It's amazing what they do and what they give up in their lives to do it. And then once the dog is really wonderful and stop peeing and pooing on the carpet and stop chewing the furniture and everything, and it's now a perfect, wonderful adult dog. We take it in for advanced training. And I can tell you, it's always a very tearful time. when The volunteers give their dogs up. Very uh, unselfish people. Yeah. Very generous. I, well, I bet that would be a tough one to do. That's yeah. for sure. I'm I'm. I, I'm going to go spend some time with my dog. We're going to figure out how she can stop peeing on the carpet. I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that. She's good for that. Um, thank you for this. I'm going to post the bcandalbertaguidedogs.com website at shiftheads.ca. That is our Facebook group for everybody to connect with that and get in touch. If they want to volunteer, if they want to get more involved, if they want to sponsor a puppy, that's another thing that you guys do and so much more for that. Um, insightful. And I think we now get context of the importance of all of it yet the distinction between the different pieces of this puzzle. Thank you, William. Hey, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. This is The Shift Podcast. That's right. It's time for game showing. It's a game show on the radio, and we clearly did not spend very much time coming up with the name. Our special guest tonight, Kelsey Campbell, joining us and hopefully losing terribly. <laughs> Ryan O'Donnell is your host for Game Showing. Oh, thank you, Bob. Today, I'm going to be honest, it might be a bit rough. Because it's time for some <laughs> doggo trivia. Yes, oh, our contestants so are going to battle it out. And uh, trivia for the dogs. Both of you are dog owners, so I would hope you'd get at least some of these questions right. So uh, here's how this game works. If you're new to this or you need a little refresher, it's trivia between these two people. They're going to pick a category and a difficulty of said question. Now, today we're playing for bones because every dog needs a good bone. So one bone would be an easy question. Three is as hard as it gets. Now, if you get the question right, you will hear this. However, if it's wrong... Yep. Now, we have three categories of questions to choose from today, okay? We've got famous dogs. You're, you're going to hear a lot of dog sound effects during this, just a heads up. It's not your dog barking, it's us. So we have famous dogs is category number one. Dog breeds is category number two. And finally, dog food. Dog food is the last category. Nom, now, we nom, also nom, have... Nom, nom, nom. Yeah, just gonna that was go a for great it. sound effect. Where'd you well find done. that? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it sounds like when a dog eats, That's actually. That's our budget. Yeah. <laughs> Much more accurate there. We also have the text line special, which is a question just for the shift heads. It's hidden in the show, and one lucky contestant will stumble across it and could win two bones, two points, you know, throwing them a freaking bone, if you will. Throw me a freaking bone here. Thank you. Perfect. Now, when we find the text line special, it sounds like this. Wow. Ooh. Perfect. And when you hear that sound, it means it's time to reveal uh, if you guys, the listeners, were right or wrong. So get your phones ready. 877-399-9898. I'm going to give you the question now. Text in your answers, and you could be the deciding factor in this showdown on Game Showy. Here's your question, Canada. What is the most popular dog breed in Canada? Is Ooh. it the Golden Retriever, Labrador, Beagle, or a German Shepherd? Dumb. Again? Dumb. No, Beagles are great. They're smart dogs. I love them. Anyway, what Beagles is the most popular dog? At the front door. Beagles are dumb. No, they're... I'm not going to get into this. We haven't even started the questions yet. What is the most popular dog in Canada? Golden Retriever, Labrador, a Beagle, or a German Shepherd? Text in your answers now, 877-399-9898. And the text line special, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to it later. 
But that's it. That's the rules of game showy. Oh, and if you get the question wrong, by the way, there is five seconds where the opponent can steal. That's how Kelsey Campbell ran away with it last time we played game showy. So uh, yeah. be ready there, Shane. All I right. was ready to jump all over that text line special. I would have said 100% confidence, Australian Shepherd. I oh, thought really? I really? Thought really? Shepherd would, yeah. like, I see them really? everywhere. It's got to be everywhere. the up and coming, most popular breed. Up and coming, that makes sense. Yep. My, my cousin has one. Very cute. Like the speckles and the, the different kitchen. eye colors. Mm -hmm. I don't know this dog. You should. All They're right. great. Anyway, that's Game Show. Let's do it. <laughs> It's time for Game Showy Now. Who's going to win? Well, you have a chance to contribute to the outcome by texting 877-399-9898. What is the most popular dog breed in Canada? Golden Retrievers, Labradors, Beagles, They're Dumb, and German Shepherds. Here's your host, Ryan O'Donnell. Thanks, Bob. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so Kelsey, you won by such a staggering amount last oh, week that I'm actually going to let Shane go again. Why do you bring it first. up again? Sorry, Ryan, can you remind me how much I won by? I can't. <laughs> it was like nine. To, it was like nine to four, nine to five. It was substantial. It was substantial. Oh, that so right. Shane, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that felt great, didn't it? <laughs> Shane, I am going to let you go first. Reminder: the categories: famous dogs, dog breeds, dog food. Okay, first of all, I think you've screwed up here terribly because they're not categories, they're dogagories. Oh, very good. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with dog breeds for two bones, Rye. For two bones. Oh, Shane, this question might be up your alley. What is the largest breed of dog? Is it the Great Dane, the Irish Wolfhound? St. Bernard or the English Mastiff? The largest breed of dog today? Yes. And it, not by um, not by weight. I mean, like tallest, like the overall biggest dog. You're going to see one on the street and it's like larger than the person walking it kind of thing. The current world record for a, for a dog is held today by a Great Dane. That's not the question, though. What is, okay. on average, the largest breed of dog? Oh, on average. Oh, yes. I see. Okay. Um, Great Danes, Irish Wolfhounds are pretty big. St. Bernard's are not tall. Um, largest. You said largest, right? Mm -hmm. Largest. Largest, you mean the tallest? Yes. Okay. And Mastiffs, they have the biggest, fattest heads. So it's not the largest heads. Well, because I uh, totally baited you by uh, asking about the Guinness record of the tallest dog and then you got defensive for a second. So that means it's got to be Irish Wolfhound because I got to read into what Ryan cool, does. Ryan. <laughs> it's too early to be like, it's the first question. You're not supposed to break my psychology this early. But yes, that's correct. Congratulations. Very well done. Yay. Bark, bark. Yes. That's not fair. Average. You literally started squirming in your seat as he was saying it, Ryan. Like, no, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, they're like, on average, they'll go 34 inches the, as height, which is crazy. And uh, yeah, they're apparently the legend is that they were the guardians and companions of ancient Irish uh, chieftains, which is pretty cool. Mm. So It'd be go. really well weird done, if Shane. they were the guardians of the Scottish. That would be awkward. Yeah, that wouldn't really be the uh, that wouldn't really be the ideal choice there. Okay, so Shane, two bones, Kelsey yes, you're up next. Well, I gotta try to even this out. I guess mm -hmm. we will go dog food for two bones. Dog food for two bones. Uh, oh, Shane, I know you really wanted to answer this question. Uh, but Kelsey's getting it because this is a question about hot dogs. Because oh, it's look, hot it's, dog question. It's, I said you got to throw out a hot dog question. Damn it! Yeah, it's really hard to find trivia about dog food. So um, anyway, this is human food, not dogs. What is the most common topping on a hot dog in North America, Kelsey? Is it ketchup, mustard, yes. onions, or relish? Which is the most common? be found on a hot dog what is people's oh, favorite oh man yeah ketchup 100 percent. no doubt that is 
Incorrect. Incorrect. It's not ketchup. Shane, you have five seconds to steal. Yeah. Mustard's got to be mustard, man. Mustard's good. Mustard's good for you. Yes, it is mustard. I was shocked. Corn dogs. You do mustard and corn dogs. Look, Kelsey, I'm on your side. Mustard is the secondary. I'm coming at you. I'm on your side here. I believe firmly that mustard is secondary to ketchup, but 71% of North Americans say they put mustard on first or prioritize mustard on the hot dog. 54% for ketchup. This explains why we're in the state that we are in our country. It absolutely does. Um, uh, Here's a bonus question here for you for no points. Okay. Uh, because like Shane those. went online and um, bought a bunch of dog food by accident one day. How many pounds of dog food does he have currently in his garage? A hundred. Kelsey, any guesses? 300. 280 pounds of dog food Whew. I have in my garage oh my right God. now. Goodness. Yeah. Which will keep Harlow seven, fed for a week. Seven. Yeah, that gets me to the end of March. With the price of dog food, I imagine that cost you only what six thousand dollars. Not quite. <laughs> so fifty nine hundred. No, yeah, no. I bought it by accident, and then um, I ended. I was like, well, I guess I'll use it. And so now there's seven forty pound bags of dog food in my garage, but that does not include the the all the bins of dog food that are currently full inside my house. Oops. Wow, I might. Anyway. I wasn't actually far. You have, if you have seven bags of it. That is mm-hmm. the one thing that I've really, really noticed in inflation as I'm looking at my receipts at the end of you know each month. It's the dog food that's killing me. Yeah, it's very true. When I used to have my Great Danes, they used to eat 28 chickens a day between the two of them back in the day. And that's why you had to move off the chicken farm. That's why <laughs> That's why I sold them to, for glue. No, I didn't do yeah. that. No, you didn't. It's okay. Uh, so Shane stole that question from you, Kelsey. So it's actually his turn, and he's got a Four nothing yes. lead right now. Jeez, Shane, you're off to a good start here, my friend. I sold my horse. For next, blue. totally different. Um, all right, next on the list here, I am going to go with. I don't know. We've had kind of luck here with the two bones. I think I'd like to go with famous dogs for two bones, Ryan O'Donnell. Famous dogs. Well, lucky you. You just stumbled on oh, the text line special. Well, let's see if the uh, listeners threw you a, threw you a, throw me a freaking bone here. There it is. Uh, let's see if they threw you a, <laughs> threw you a bone. Okay. So the question was for the listeners and the listeners only, which is what is the most common breed, most popular dog in Canada? The options, golden retriever, Labrador, beagle, or a German shepherd. Beagles so I want to, hmm? Beagles are dumb. Beagles are not dumb. Jeez. You know, beagles live forever and they're wholesome. As I, I can't. We have so many questions to go through. Okay. So this is interesting because usually on the text lines, a lot special. There's a bit of a consensus very quickly. But honestly, for the first time in a very long time, I, there are just so many different answers here. Angel in Hamilton says labs. And then I've got one from Calgary here that says German Shepherd. Brian German Shepherd, and I've seen so many for the Golden Retriever, which is the most texted in question uh, answer here. And that is correct for the United States, but not Canada. The Golden Retriever is not the most common dog breed. It is, in fact, the lab. Yes, the various types of labs are far more. uh, and, And this is the interesting stat. 12% 12% of all Canadian dog owners have a lab, and that's the max. That just shows how many different types of dogs people have across the country, that 12% is the majority. Really? Computer yep. says no. Computer says no. So unfortunately, the text line special does not work out for you, Shane. So you are still <sighs> at four bones. Kelsey, it's your chance to Do get, get back in this Do I get those points, year. though? No, nobody does because the, the answer No, you don't correct. understand. I, I need them I, like I if i could have them, them that would be yeah, good <laughs> that's good but you know how you train a dog to you know can't get everything it wants all the time that's the same thing here sorry oh remember that time no you compared me to a dog that was fun <laughs> 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 I've, i'm sorry can you hear me munching on my popcorn in the background right yeah, now this yeah. is great Ooh, i never get in on the chirping i just growing. usually let it happen so this is fun for me anyway kelsey it's your turn <laughs> Where would you like to go? What would you like to do? 
<laughs> okay, okay, I'm coming. I gotta, I gotta come after this guy. Let's go mm-hmm. through. Yeah, famous dogs. Let's stay here. Uh, three bones okay. for three. Okay, this is probably the most famous dog ever. Toto from the Wizard of Oz. Oh, what t- type of dog is Toto? Is Toto a, a Shih Tzu? One. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here are the options here. Okay. It's a little runaway. Is Toto a Shih Tzu? A Karen Terrier, a Cocker Spaniel, or a Pomeranian? Wow. That's tough. <laughs> tough question. Little cute. I'm picturing the little furry face. I gotta go. I don't I couldn't can't remember the first part of Terrier, but I think Terrier. That is correct. Yes. No. Karen Terrier. Yes. Energetic, Ugh. brave, devoted little dogs. And yeah, makes sense that, that would they would be the hero from uh Wizard of Oz. There you go. Well done, Kelsey. There you go. Three bones. So now you're only one behind Shane, but it is Shane's turn. Congratulations on your new ruby slippers there, lady. Hey, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> the famous dogs, dog breeds, dog food on Game Showy. Uh, well, let's go with dog food because that's really where I spend most of my time and money. Uh, okay. Uh, dogs love their food, Shane. We know they have a better sense of smell than us and better sight, but what about taste? Hmm. True. Uh, tell me, Shane, this is your question. Do dogs have more or less taste buds than humans do? More or less taste buds. <laughs> oh, no. I can just imagine what you're thinking about right now. My My dog's... Personal hygiene is very good. <laughs> I knew so, that's where you went. I knew. <laughs> so I, I have to say it's got to be less taste buds because there's no way she could keep herself so clean and tidy <laughs> all day in oh, 530 in the morning. Harlow, go to sleep. <laughs> if, <laughs> if she had as many taste buds as people, I guess it's got to be less because oh, okay. <laughs> So, for context, humans have around 9,000 taste buds. Dogs have around 1,700. So, much less than humans. That is correct. That's still more than they should have. Yeah, cats have less than 500. Cats have barely any, which is interesting. So, they mm-hmm. can barely, but and yet they go crazy for the catnip. So, that, like their that must taste really good. Minimal. Yeah. Can we talk about smell too? Because this is an interesting fact. I looked it up because um, my dog Stella has this terrible habit of if a dog has peed on a pole or a bush, she has to put her nose directly into the like urine. A suction cup? Yep. Yep. Just to really get a good smell. And so I looked it up. Dogs can typically smell like 20 to 40 kilometers away. So if yeah, they're stupid, it depends on the wind and the scent, and the, but they can smell you like they're human that far away. So tell me, why do they need to physically put their nose into this stuff on the ground? I don't. I, I go through the same thing. Um, have you ever lost your dog? Yeah, all the time. Because I really want to <laughs> be there runner. when you lose your when you lose your dog, and then you're walking through the street calling your name. I think that's amazing. Oh, literally What's six hours name? ago, screaming Stella down the street. <laughs> Stella, <laughs> Stella. All right, we have time for one more question. Okay. Okay. Wait. What are we? Where are we at? Where are we at? Point. There twice. is only one three bone question left. Which and I need it. Uh, I gotta have it. You do I need it. it. You do Let's need do it. it. Okay, Kelsey, this is it. Okay, so we're gonna play for you the sound of a bark, and you need to oh tell me goodness. what breed it is. Okay, John, are you ready oh. with that? There. Okay, so listen to this, Kelsey. This is the first one, John. What? Okay, so just listen to the bark first. Okay. Okay. Roo 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 roo. Was that? A golden retriever, a husky, or a German shepherd? Oh, I... Mm. Here, play it I, one more I, time. I, now, yeah. that you, now that you have the context, listen one more time. Weirdly, I can't picture a golden retriever barking. Um, and I, <laughs> I have more. a husky, so and he doesn't sound like that. I'm going to go shepherd, German shepherd. That was indeed 
a German Shepherd. Yes. Very good. Well done. Yeah, it does talk. Did you just say woof, Shane? Is that what you just said? No, I said well done. Nailed it. Oh, woof. There it is. Woof. Now, that was the last question. However, Shane still wins by one point. Shane still has one more bone. This is the first game show he win for him in all of this year so far? In ever. It's been a it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> Throw me a freaking bone here. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding, hey. Well, there you go. Even Kelsey trying to get them all right still wasn't enough for how bad it started. That means Shane is the winner on the shift. And Kelsey can go for a walk and call out her dog's name. Stella! Don't forget to get your dog spayed or neutered. Thank you very much for being here, Kelsey, and being a part of uh, of this. And uh, clearly, I'm the better dog parent. I mean... Oh, Clearly, Clearly. Um, it was just let's go back last week. Nine, nine, five, right? Nine, four. Let's just hold on to that. (laughs) (laughs) This is the shift podcast. Are you okay with? Sharing fries. Uh, man, you know, it is a really like a true act of kindness to, to give a fry. And, uh, you know, if you're going to ask for a fry, just ask for it. I'm going to say yes, or I'm going to say no. Um, but, uh, the worst is when you like pass someone, let's say you're at McDonald's. Okay. Can I have a fry? Sure. And you like hold the, what do you call it? The fry hold the carton. What what are the fries come in? I don't know. Via carton. That's a good question. Never thought of that before. Fry box? Fry. Fry. The fry dispensing device. And they hold that. And then instead of just taking one, they just get three fingers. And they do the pinch and just grab and take whatever comes out. Mm -hmm. That's evil. I don't mind sharing fries as long as I offer the fries. Mm -hmm. The fry thief. Good etiquette. I will stab you with my fork. (laughs) If you steal fries without asking, those people who kind of just fly by and steal a fry as they go, nay, nay, my friends, I'll stab you in the leg. I think it's rude. Don't take food. It is rude. But if I offer and I'm like, hey, want to share some fries? Can I offer you some fries? Some fries? Fries for you. Then absolutely, I'm okay with that. So I'm okay with sharing fries. I'm not okay with stealing fries. It's almost a noble gesture, giving a guy a fry, kind of like back in the days when you'd bum a smoke. But taking one without permission is absolute evil, an evil act that may be the reason behind a very serious car crash that happened. Now, where did this happen? Oh, it happened in one of our other favorite places. Just drive from town. A woman in Adelaide, Australia, is facing charges after it's alleged she tried to run down her partner on Sunday after an argument her partner claimed started over chips. French fries. What you are about to hear is one of the greatest news clips in the history of history. Charlotte Harrison in handcuffs led away from court. She's accused of causing this serious crash allegedly sparked by an argument. I asked for a chip out of a uh, half chicken and chips salad pack she had. She'd, um, I thought she was finished. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have asked for the chip. <laughs> like, yeah, I shouldn't have asked for the chip. <laughs> shouldn't have taken the chip. Clearly. You got to understand, hangry is real. Oh, very real. Police allege that Harrison slammed into oncoming traffic in a power box in an attempt to run Finn down. 
Police called to reports of someone being chased. Matthew Finn had jumped out of the passenger seat and was walking. Police say the driver, 42-year-old Harrison, slammed into oncoming traffic and a power box. Straight into a Toyota Yaris. And then, yeah, the girl, poor girl, she'd be shocked for life, that one. That, 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 was, that was the worst, worst one, worst part. Allegedly in an attempt to run Mr Finn over. Yeah, she came straight at me. I just jumped straight over into her. It wasn't much of a jump, but yeah, straight over into a bit of a lane there. And she just impaled the Subaru. Impaled the Subaru. <laughs> he's, so, he's so nonchalant. Yeah, she uh, tried to kill me, and uh, you know it's my fault. You know I shouldn't have taken the chip, but I uh, just humped down over and uh, hope for the best. Yeah, <laughs> that's from Nine News. The woman told court she had no intention of trying to harm him. Clearly, mm. the guy who took the fry attended court in support of Harrison for the Wednesday afternoon, but left halfway through. Oh, Would have been great if he showed maybe. up with a box of fries, though, right? Like, yeah, maybe he got hungry. <laughs> anyway, Probably she's still in custody, smell. and uh, mm. that's the end of that. Are you okay with snow days? It's like a myth. It was a mythical thing. You know, like I grew up in Calgary when I was young. No snow days here. If it snows, you go to school or work, right? It's just, yeah. But when I moved to Ontario, even though there was substantial snowstorms, uh, they would cancel school. They would just cancel school. And my brother and I have some core, like core memories till the day we die, remembrance of, you know, those snow days, building the snow forts, running out to get Harvey's for lunch and just like enjoying the day. And it was awesome. But I think it only happened three two or three times when i lived in ontario for six years and it's only ever happened to me once living in calgary and i still went to school they didn't officially cancel it they basically said you can come if you want and i was already on the bus so i was like oh whatever so i remember living on vancouver island and having a snow day because the bus couldn't come because when it would snow on the island with the hills and stuff you couldn't they couldn't get anywhere So that was the snow day that I remembered. And then when I moved from Port Alberni to Fort McMurray in November of 1984, I think, um, I remember moving and the very first day that I was supposed to go to my new school, which was, I was in McQuinna in Port Alberni. I was going to St. Gabriel in Fort McMurray and it snowed. And I remember saying to my mom, Snow day, you don't have to go to school. And my mom was like, there are no snow days up here in the north. You go to school every day. I was like, what? This is terrible. And there was never, it was never canceled. It was always a thing. We would never have been to school in that town when I was young. But snow days are the best reason for school to be canceled. In Kelowna, parents were surprised to see school was canceled for the day. And it wasn't because of snow. It was because of a trash panda. As parents began getting their kids ready for class, they received a notification that school was canceled after a raccoon was discovered inside the building, and it created some chaos. South Kelowna Elementary had an unusual and unwanted guest inside the school. A raccoon entered the building late Sunday night, setting off the alarm system before hiding in the ceiling. The custodians went out to try to find out if you know there was an intrusion and ended up finding out it was a raccoon. So right away they of course called the conservation officer and, and tried to get them to get this out and we couldn't. After a long night of trying to catch the raccoon with no luck, the school was forced to notify parents that classes were cancelled for the day. Parents were amazing, you know, we were able to send out a message right away, a majority of parents were able to keep their kids home. The ones that couldn't, uh, we had them in the gym and then we transported them to Canyon Falls for the day. For many parents at the school, reading the email that a wild animal had shut down the school came as a surprise. I looked at it, it took me a couple times rereading it, trying to figure out if this was a joke or... (laughs) Because it's something like you would never, ever even dream of hearing. Uh, That was Global's Jaden Wozni, by the way. How do you say raccoon? Raccoon? You don't say raccoon. raccoon. No, I don't say raccoon. No, it's raccoon. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Raccoon. I say raccoon. Yeah. No. Never mind. Stop asking me. I saw a raccoon. It's raccoon. I saw a raccoon. It's not raccoon. Raccoon. 
Jonathan, you're in Vancouver. You see lots of raccoons. Yes, um, I do. How do, yeah. you, how do you say it? Raccoon. Raccoon. Yeah, raccoon. Can you play the beginning of that story again? Just skip it ahead a couple of seconds, though, Jono. I'll try. Yeah, South Kelowna best. Elementary had an unusual and unwanted guest inside the school. A raccoon entered the building late. That's how you say it. Now keep it going there, bud, because then when the principal comes on, he says it differently. Yeah, go ahead. South Kelowna Elementary had an unusual and unwanted guest inside the school. A raccoon entered the building late Sunday night, setting off the alarm system before hiding in the ceiling. The custodians went out to try to find out if, you know, there was an intrusion and ended up finding out it was a raccoon. So right away, oh, they, see? of course, called. Weird, the right? Weird raccoon. It sounds a little British, a little fancy. Oh, golly, fancy for the trash Ooh. Just before lunch, the raccoon had found itself in the mood for a different space and exited. Exited. With some gentle assistance from school staff on its own accord from the school, which I have a sneaking suspicion might have been run that way just to make sure nobody complained. Okay. <laughs> written that way so oh. nobody complained. You got to be careful, though. I will never forget when I worked at a summer camp what did we name this thing there was a raccoon that would sort of wander around where the cabins were and you know staff we were telling kids do not interact with the raccoon at all and oh little king trash mouth that's what we called him little king trash mouth anyway so little king trash mouth kept coming pretty close to the, all the kids and so we ushered all of them inside and then i was outside with a broom and he was at the other end of the of the porch and I, you know, me and three other counselors are staring him down. He's like, yeah, he's going to back off. He bolted with the force of like a, of an F1 car directly at me. And one of my friends threw like a plastic chair at him. And we all hid. And then they had to call in a trapper who removed air quotes, the little King trash mouth from the, uh, from the premises. They will, yep. if they're in the mood to fight, they will fight you. Like They will fight. Yeah, they will fight. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen the impact of back when I had a cat, a raccoon that um, slashed the the thigh of the cat. Um, they're they're grouchy. They're like, raccoons are kind of yeah. like geese, you know. And I don't know if you ever seen yeah. Elf, but if you ever wanted the evidence that raccoons are not nice, Buddy tries to give a raccoon a hug. It does oh, not go yeah, well. Of course. Right. No. Um, there you go. So are you okay with? And we didn't even make fun of cats. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.